Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Dan Lust joined this week by Hannah Valenti. Hannah, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Dan. It's definitely been a minute. So let me wait. Let me ask. What have you been doing since you last came on the podcast? I've been busy. I took the bar exam. I first graduated, graduated law school, took the bar exam, um, now working full time at Raymond Rep and very excited to kind of be done with the bar exam, just waiting for those results, getting getting more involved with conduct again. It has been a minute and I am ready to jump in head first. Okay. I love to hear it for our new listeners of conduct. Hannah, Hannah's like an OG, right? You've been around the block. You've been, we've been talking yeah. since you were one out. So uh, for those that don't know Raymond Rep, uh, it's Michael Raymond's agency. You probably see Michael on social media. He's got a very, uh, a, an NIL agency that deals a lot with women's athletes, women's sports. So uh, Michael made our like uh, inaugural 10 under 10 uh, JD list, like as 10, 10 people in sports with under 10 years uh, since they got their JD. So Michael's a young guy. He's been on our show before. Hannah, you interviewed him, uh, which is excellent. So this is... Um, that's what we want to do. So, uh, Hannah, I gave you the call today. You and I had spoke earlier this week, so you were you were top of mind. And I have been speaking kind of offline with Tate Gillespie, who's the again I don't know what his real title is, but he's a director of NIL at Brad. Kansas. So, yeah, we had gotten back and forth a couple times. He's a it's a brand new position that doesn't really it didn't exist in sports two years ago. And Tate was one of the first guys tapped by a Power Five program to go to Kansas. And I said, I'd love you to come on the show, kind of talk about what you do. Do you have any buddies that, um, you know, it would be good if we had two of you just because I want to hear what's different, maybe a different school. So he said, how about Ben Chase? And I'm like, oh, Ben Chase, the guy who's at Florida and drove around his, uh, the, uh, the ca his car, like going to all the different stadiums who happened to be a lawyer. I'm like, that guy's great. So, um, yeah, so I'm going to call them, they're, they're director of NIL at their respective schools, two power five schools, Florida, who we've talked about in the show has made a lot of NIL headlines. And Kansas and both kind of two guys big on social media. So, and I thought you'd be a good one given your role at Raymond to kind of ask some hard-hitting questions. And um, I don't know, I thought the conversation came out pretty well. What were your, ah, we'll save it for the end, but um, I'm, I'm happy that we got them on. We will say this, like we didn't ask them this question. We both had it top of mind. So like, you know, we're going to talk about in the show, like we talked about agencies, how they deal with agencies, collectives, different, you know, women's sports. Uh, I don't know. We, we asked them kind of the full gambit. The one question that Hannah, you you and I were both kind of like arranging the show. I'm like, uh, I'm curious as to how this world of like, like, I don't know, unionization is impacting uh, their, their kind of day to day. I know in my, um, you know, in, in my world and the different people I speak to in, in college sports, like everyone understands like right now we're at the tip of the iceberg. But once we start talking about unions and revenue sharing, like we're in a different ballpark. So we certainly spared Ben and, and Tate those questions, but I don't think quite anybody knows how it will impact the landscape. So Hannah, I guess, you know, are, are you allowed to talk about that in your role as agent at Raymond Representation, the world of revenue sharing? I believe so. I don't think there's any limitations. I mean, I'm on the legal team, so I feel like if anyone's going to reprimand me, it'd be me. Um, You're the legal team. I am the legal team. But go, I will say going into the conversation, I had a different opinion or what I thought they were going to say. And then hearing them and hearing both of their perspectives of different schools, I now have a different opinion um, or my personal opinion on what unionization would look like and how that would affect. Um, but how I went into it, like thinking how the conversation would go, I have a completely different mindset um, and appreciation for just how much, how many different things and how many different players are in that. And I can imagine unionizing would make that so much more complicated than simplify it. So I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, okay, so let's just a little bit of housekeeping and then we're going to bring, um, we already we spoke to them, Ben Chase, Tate Gillespie, we'll, we'll, you'll hear the whole interview momentarily. What what I want to try to do, and, and uh, I didn't record a podcast last week. I've usually, I think I, I broke a streak. I'm like the Cal Ripken of podcasts. I've recorded like every week for the last like, I don't know, you broke weeks. the streak, no. I broke the streak, <laughs> but it's for a good reason. Like, I don't know, I'm recording this, uh, you know, I, I'm recording this now. I'm recording this at six o'clock. My nanny's going to leave in like 15 minutes. So I got to be pretty uh, judicious with my time. Um, I have kind of, um, you know, it's a good success story. Like we're building a real sports practice uh, at my firm. So like I have billable hours. I got to bring in clients. I'm going to whining and dining, all this good stuff. And it's it's good. Like, and I always, I never want to lose sight. Hannah, you and I were having this conversation earlier in the week. So that's the other reason I wanted to have you on. Like I never try to lose sight of the path that, that got at least me to this point. Ben has his own path. Tate has his own path. Um, you know, and they'll, they'll talk about it when we, when we kind of have them on, but like, 
the the reason that I think NIL and why we've dedicated so much time on our airwaves to NIL, like a lot of my clients in my real world are NIL clients. And it's like, like, oh, Dan, that makes sense because you are a sports lawyer and NIL and they probably find you. It's like, no, not really. Like I was an insurance defense lawyer for six years. And then like this world of NIL was created and it was like, okay, like nobody knows anything about NIL. Like maybe I'll learn a lot about NIL and we'll see what comes of it. So on the back of NIL, I've kind of built out the sports practice. Like I have, I'd probably say NIL is probably 40% of my sports practice, 30 to 40% right around there in terms of, um, you know, money, money coming in the door on the other 60% of my personal practice, not my overall work is, you know, some combination of pro uh, influencers, comedians, um, I don't know, celebrity work. It's not, not really tied to college, but like, that's the thing that, I don't know why I get invited to speak at schools. I get invited to speak to talk about NIL. So NIL, like we have the NIL hour every week, you know, almost every week. Um, but Taryn, my colleague, they do a great job talking about current events. So this conversation that we're going to have right now, and and I, I gather some of you might like, like, oh, I like when Dan and the gang talk about pro sports. But the reason I talk about NIL, I think it's really important if you're trying to build out a sports practice. It's still a really new field. Conversations that we're about to have with Ben and Tate, like I've never... I've never heard some of these things and I'm like, I'm in the space every day. So to kind of get into the mind of like, you know, these, these two guys who are leaders in the space, they're both very young guys. They're, I think they're both younger than me. I'm 35. They're both younger than me. And Hannah, you're much younger than me. And you are like kind of leading the space in terms of like, you know, uh, an agency that does a lot of work in women's sports. So I'm, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting conversation. It's kind of a new field, but yeah, I wouldn't be here where I am today at my firm and, and leading the sports practice what is, were it not for NIL. So this conversation is a really holistic sense. We're going to get into like really granular stuff, like um, just like um, taking online classes, like how that's impacting, how conference realignment will impact the NIL space. Uh, we're going to talk about collective agencies, all that stuff. But we want to, this, this conversation is geared towards someone that like maybe isn't following the landscape that closely, but you kind of want to get your feet wet. So I don't know. Maybe we'll call this like NIL 101. We'll have a fun name for the episode. Hannah, any thoughts before we kick it over to the interview with Ben and Tate? Two thoughts. One, I think that their position, um, I believe they said like you'll hear soon, there's about 30 or so of NIL strategy directors across the country. I think that in the next two years, almost every school is going to have a similar role um, because if they don't have a similar role, they're going to be behind and their athletes are going to be behind and there's going to be a ripple effect um, down the line. So I think that that's going to be a position that we see appear um, at every school who wants skin in the game and NIL. And I don't know why schools wouldn't want skin in the game with the NIL because it'll attract better athletes and so forth. And secondly, when my, I know, Dan, you have students, law students, students who are one of work in sports, reach out to me all the time. The number one thing I can say is get involved in NIL because it's one of the biggest um, areas to get involved in sports in general. And it also, you don't need to be an expert to get involved. So you can add value in so many different ways. Um, there's a tremendous amount of athletes. So I think that there's just so much going on in NIL that it could seem overwhelming. But if you take it just like little by little, you can understand the space. And I think that this episode definitely, um, I, I learned so many things in this episode and I'm in this space every single day working with athletes. So I think that we'll, I think our listeners will learn a lot. Definitely. Okay, before we get to the interview, a reminder, our podcast is sponsored by Themis Bar Review. I had a student reach out to me who shall remain nameless. They're a 2L at a school, someone I've spoke to for a while. And he's like, Dan, is Themis really worth it? And I'm like, what else are you considering? And he named a bar prep company that will not be named at any point in time on the show, contractually obligated not to say it. So I spoke to him. I hooked him up with uh, my contact over at Themis, Rebecca, who gave him a walkthrough, gave him a, a super extra discount the conduct detrimental special so if you are thinking about bar prep uh, any of that stuff anything in the middle i don't know i'm i'm very close anybody that reaches out to me about themis i, I move them to the top of my list that is uh not a normal list and i i probably am getting slow to respond to people i used to be really good at this but now when i'm coaching i got all this a lot of different hats um i have a I'm, I'm, I try to be sometimes, Hannah, if you want to laugh. Okay. So we love Themis. Use Themis. If you want to use Themis, uh, just hit me up. Themis sometimes Themis is the best. Sometimes I, I reach out to people and this is a true story. I have a, a list and I don't, hopefully I'm not saying anything too bad, but I have a list of like inbox. Like I, when emails come in, I, I see them, I flag them, I put them in a folder and 
like sometimes it'll just be a random day. I'm like, you know what? Let me go through my inbox. Let me reach out to people. So I sometimes reach out to people after having uh, their initial outreach, like was like three months prior. And I'm just like, hey, trying to set up that call. I'm sorry, I'm late. I'm, uh, it's my bad. Yeah, but if people talk about Themis, I'm like, they go into the Themis folder. And the Themis folder, they respond to the show. They're supporting us over here. So if you want to, if you want to get straight to my heart, ask me about Themis. Okay, with that said, let us kick it over to our interview with Ben Chase and Tate Gillespie to talk about all things NIL and college sports. Ben Chase, Tate Gillespie, welcome to Conduct Detrimental. Uh, it's a pleasure having you both on. Thank you. Just glad to be here, Tate. Got the, the ball rolling and finally get the link up with you. Yeah, excited to be here. Excited to uh, be alongside a good friend in the industry and uh, a couple more new ones. Yeah, so good um, friends that we're literally drinking from the same water bottle from across the country right now. That we've got that he gave me 18 months ago. Do you want to say the name of the water bottle? Because uh, a lot of this is going to be on audio slash all of it. Yeah, oh, no. shout out, uh, shout out my old company prior to my Kansas days, uh, Talk Walker. Listen, you guys, we'll send you the invoice later for the company plug. Um, but uh, Talk Walker <laughs> is going to come up. Um, so we'll do some brief introdu- introductions here, and then we'll kind of get into the to the meat of it. So Ben and Tate, you guys are you know among the first NIL directors uh, that have uh, been created, or I don't know, I don't want to say it, but this position has kind of been created around the space. I think as both of you both of you know, there's very few like podcasts that that you know with some degree of regularity talk about NIL issues. So you know, Tate, I'm familiar with you from LinkedIn. Ben, I think I first saw you on Twitter doing your state by state college football approach. So you know, I think the four of us here, myself and and Hannah included, we all have some kind of uh, you know key on social media uh, NIL. So I guess before we get into it, uh, Ben, you're the NIL director. I want to make sure I have your title right at Florida. Tate, you have the same title, NIL director at, at Kansas. Do I have that that part right? Close enough. We're both director of NIL strategy. Yeah. Oh, so we, I had it. Yeah, I had it. Twin positions. Yeah. Same. I just, yes. All the same. Okay. So let's just let's start here. Tate, just in a, in a really high level, tell us how you you kind of went from talk walker how you got to kansas and a little bit of your day-to-day and then same question for ben and i'll turn it over to hannah to start asking some hard-hitting questions yeah so i'll keep it pretty brief i um i got into the nil or sports endorsement space we'll call it uh prior to talk walker i was a you know professional athlete so that kind of saw me doing my own endorsement deals as an athlete co-aligning at the same time as nil legislation came into effect so kind of combine that with my previous experience in college athletics. So helped kind of launch the collegiate sports to, uh, vertical at Talkwalker, a you know software consumer intelligence company. So we partnered with schools around the country to kind of help them brand their athletes, brand their NIL programs. Um, through that, got to know the folks at Kansas, which uh, led one step to the uh, other. So put me in this role currently at uh, Kansas. I like it. I remember the LinkedIn announcement. It was like one day you were talk walker, the next day you're going to Kansas. I'm like, move it on up. I mean, it's fantastic. So um, great yeah, stuff. Uh, yeah, Ben, I've, you've obviously done this before. Uh, ben, same question. Yeah, uh, it's funny you say that because before this call, I actually sent Tate a screenshot of like a, a Twitter draft of, and it says, what's your day-to-day director NIL as an edition? And it's like very long. But yeah, my background is, uh, I actually didn't go to college until I was 21, and I went to a community college, went to Florida for undergrad, uh, so I'm back home now. Went to law school at GW, um, graduated with 700 other people. Unlike you, Dan, I did, decided I'm not going to be an attorney, so I bounced pretty quickly. I uh, got my first job in NIL from a Twitter DM, uh, worked at Blueprint Sports, which is one of the leading collective management companies uh, at this time, and then uh, while there, I you know, left that company and, and decided to do this road trip. I went to the most college football games in one season uh, last fall, 77 games all on the road, met people from all over the country, went to all 48 continental U.S. states. And before I went on the road trip, I actually applied for this job. And our mutual friend, uh, Morgan Frazier, uh, she was, uh, you know, a good connection. Here oh, referred me. Um, I didn't realize that yeah. Morgan was the, Morgan's a good friend of ours, too. We know Morgan very yeah, well. I know now we Morgan were going to have a here. podcast you on your network. I didn't know if we you all love that. Morgan here. Yeah, you realize yeah. that you like more. You asked Morgan <laughs> to do a podcast, and she was going to do it with me on your network. But uh, yeah, big so, fan of Morgan though. So I, I, she was correct. That was a good call. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so got here um, at the end of January, and 
yeah, I mean, like, like Kate said, the day-to-day, -day, I can go through this list of things, but, uh, you know, I have all touch points from compliance to donors to MMR to sponsorships, and, well, you know, I'm sure the old guys will ask a bunch of questions about uh, more things like that, collectives, uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's an endless uh, list that I, at some point I'll probably tweet about, and then uh, it'll maybe it'll align with whenever this podcast drops. Hey, something I have to say, um, I, okay. I'm the only non-lawyer oh, podcast, so try to go easy on me, everyone. I'm the only one here without a law degree, I think. Won't use any legal uh, ink, I promise. <laughs> I, I literally was yesterday uh, at Trivia, and they said, who are the current four women on the Supreme Court? And I didn't know their, all of their entire names, so uh, at least I have that for you. We will we will not fault you. Okay, so that now that we have introductions on the way, we want to talk generally about the kind of roadmap we're going to get into. So, you know, I think in your positions, both being at Power Five schools, we're going to talk about kind of the ram ramifications uh, of what a federal law would look like. We want to talk about, you know, this kind of division between student athletes being going to classes, online classes. I think that's really important. You know, your interactions with collectives on a day-to-day -day basis and then how this world of conference realignment is kind of impacting your school. So uh, we do it for our listeners. We want to let people know what they're expecting. So, yes, we're going to have some fun and some, some uh, you know, some interesting back and forth. But those are the topics we're going to try to get to. Um, so, Hannah, with that said, I will turn the mic over to you on uh, take us whichever way you want in that in a crazy, wacky way. Sounds good. Um, so... NIL has been referred to as the wild, wild west too many times to count. Um, now on the floor of Congress, um, they're discussing a federal NIL legislation. Can you guys both walk us through, um, both on a smaller scale at your institutions, what a federal NIL um, law would look like and what those ramifications would be? And then 20,000 for few, what do you think the long-term ramifications of a federal NIL law um, would do for your schools and for the NCAA in general? Let's say you want to go first. Sure. I'll jump it off. So I'll kind of start with, um, you know, when we talk about kind of what is the current federal legislation landscape look like? What does it look like on a state by state basis? You know, there's so many different ways you could take the argument on what's good for the athlete, what's good for the schools, what's good for the NCAA. But, you know, that's a whole different rabbit hole we can go down. I think one thing that, you know, me, Ben, all 30 or so other NIL directors around the country and administrators, athletes will all agree on is we do want to get to a place someday of uniformity across the landscape in terms of, you know, not having different bordering states being able to, you know, do different things, act in certain ways that, you know, other schools, other states can't do, right? That's That creates a tough landscape for both the schools and for the athletes. And at the end of the day, I think a lot of a lot of us get, you know, caught up when we forget that NIL is for the athletes. And so what we want to do is we want to make as many opportunities as possible accessible for the athletes. We want to open as many doors as we can for them, but we want to do it in a way that creates a sustainable platform, a sustainable market industry around the country and around the conferences, whether that's power five, mid-major whatsoever. So I come at it from a different perspective. I played myself at Texas A&M Corpus Christi, a mid-major in the Southland Conference. I played baseball, a non-revenue generating sport at a mid-major school. And now stepping into this role as NIL director at Kansas, kind of a, you know, a premier brand at a power five um, conference. I've really seen both sides of it. So I like to think I come at it with a pretty, uh, you know, diverse perspective in that sense. So I talk with our administration there. I talk with administration, you know, here at Kansas, I see what's going on. One thing that I kind of just always hope for is that one day we get to a uniformity um, aspect across the conferences or across, uh, you know, conferences, the NCAA landscape, because that makes my job easier. That makes Ben's uh, job easier. And that really helps us open more doors for athletes and makes it easier for them to understand because I think another piece that gets a little bit forgotten about in all this is that this is brand new for us as administration. It's also brand new for athletes. You know, we're seeing still athletes that came into college three, four years ago before NIL had fully taken effect. They're still adjusting. They're still learning how they can operate in this space. And we want to make it as simple as possible for them. So, you know, not here to speak on what would exactly be best for them. Um, but I do think we can all agree that uniformity would make the most sense for all parties involved. 
So I'll just yeah. jump in quick and then I'll, I'll give it to you, Ben. You know, I I, uh, I work with St. John's. I don't know if you know your counterpart over at St. John's, uh, Matt, but we, you know, recently we're speaking to some of the players over there. And uh, Ben, I'm not going to ask you to, you'll see what I'm saying in a second, but don't comment on this. But there's a situation involving uh, a now drafted defensive tackle out of Florida, uh, Gervin Dexter. And that situation is going to be interpreted under Florida law and has really no bearing on anything that's going to go on in New York law. But it's a really important case that we're following. But then again, it really has no precedential effect in any other state around the country without a uniform bill. So, you know, the athletes might fairly think, oh, well, if this happens to him, it might happen to me in my state and vice versa. But what I think athletes, educators, anybody in this space should know is with a fragmented state by state approach, you you have these maybe precedential cases that don't really have impact on other states without a federal law. So I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's certainly not helping people learn. And, and if anything, maybe it's giving people a false sense of security in certain states uh, where, like, I, I know Ben in Florida and this one, you know, I think this is a safe one. But on, on that same point, like, you know, Florida has that law that that essentially allows someone to cancel a contract or at least it was in there. Um, I'm not sure what it currently says, but when an athlete turned pro, you know, they they could cancel the contract or was terminable. New York doesn't have that same language. So I don't know, something as simple as that, then like when when a deal comes across your desk, like you're reviewing it, Florida purposes, like you can't really hit up Tate. He's got a separate rule than Kansas, like the world where Ben, you could call Tate and like, that seems to be an easy world, right? And like, doesn't that just seem to help your job? Yeah. And that's a good question. And yeah, there's, you went over a lot there. I mean, I, I'm lucky to say like, and, and Tate leaned on us too. Like at the end of the day, it's about the athletes and, and Tate and I, uh, along with about 40 other uh, admins in our role actually have a monthly zoom call and we have a, a Slack channel that we can lean on each other for different things. And, you know, that, hypothetical in that real life situation was you know, shared in our group chat. And I, you know, obviously didn't comment on it. Uh, I will say that there was another company very similar to them that was trying, I got here at the end of January. So I was not a part of like when he was on campus, but another company very similar to them was trying to get on campus and actually sent me a link to an article about the company you mentioned as well as, you know, athletes. And they're like, well, this athlete at Florida and I was like, I don't care. I'm not like, and I thought me being a gatekeeper, but it's like one of those things where at the end of the day, like what well, I used to work at Disney world and we would say, we don't want to be on the front page. Right. Like, and that's kind of the same thing here. And Florida has, you know, we've had a few scarlet letters spelled NIL here in Gainesville. Um, and, and that's part of it too. But uh, I, you know, I'll go back to the original question and really quick. I think, you know, the, the uniformity, uniformity, uniformity uh, across the board when it comes to, um, standardization but i don't think there should be like a uniform contract because that's you know it's none of my business what our athletes make you know and a lot of states require reporting we don't require reporting here i'm not here to count anyone's money but also like why would an influencer that just happens to be an athlete have the same contract as an influencer that's just not an athlete on campus you know like you know there's a lot of you know and influencers that are just here doing tiktok videos that have millions of followers that aren't the star football player it's why would i have to see the contract for the athlete but not their contract right it's none of my business for on both sides so i think that's that's my one little caveat on that and then you know i think there's there's a very there's a lot of stakeholders right and, and enforcement at scale is the other question and and, and who do you go to and, and in the sec when i want clarification on something i go to the sec i don't go to the ama or another area so like I think they're kind of uniforming that and, and kind of making it efficient is, is another part of that. The what What's next, I think. Yeah, and, and I'll piggyback on that, you know, to Ben's point. One thing, you know, on the flip side that I think I feel really strongly about that I do whatever this looks like, you know, from legislation or whatever. One thing I do want to see and I do support is something along the lines of an agent registration, um, you know, because that's one area, we, you know, a lot of folks like to talk about, you know, supposed you know bad actors in the nil industry and that's something that i do feel strongly about is us as schools as conferences as the ncaa hopefully being able to put in a system to you know register do background checks on agents and those representing our athletes um you know because that's an area that right now we're having to do pretty manually and so that's something that i do support on that front and like uh, south carolina actually has a 10 percent agent cap uh like state law so like and that maybe i don't know 
like what that looks like, but uh, and who is who's enforcing it again? Enforcement at scales, but I'm going to say that a million times probably on this podcast. Yeah, branching off of that, can you guys go into or start with Tate? Um, how do you interact with athletes that have agents or have are represented by agencies? Um, and are you involved in that process at all, or are the agents um, interacting with you at all? Can you kind of walk us through what that looks like um, with athletes that have representation? Yeah, so I'll start on kind of the front side because we've seen it both. We've seen it with athletes that come in with agents as it is or marketing reps. And we've seen it with athletes that are looking for, you know, agency marketing representation. So on the front side, it all is really rooted in education from the sense of helping them understand, hey, when you're looking for an agent, you're looking for marketing representation. You know, here's some pretty general guidelines about, you know, what's the industry standard? What's the industry norm? Here are some red flags to look out for you know, we're not part of that, at least I am, you know, we're not part of that process of helping them screen agents, right? We're not help. We're not telling them, hey, here's who you should or shouldn't go with, but we want to make sure them and their families are educated around, here's what, you know, a, you know, credible certified agent, how they'll act in the pro sports space. Here's what that looks like. This is an industry that's not new, right? This is one that's existed in the professional sports space for a long time, Here's what they should be doing. Here's what they shouldn't be doing. Helping them understand what that looks like. And then, you know, when they do get to that point where they do have agent or representation, really helping them understand, you know, for us, Kansas, the Kansas ecosystem, connecting them with our corporate partners, helping them understand, you know, getting them connected with our collective, you know, helping them, you know, have those conversations so that they're not feeling like, oh, I've got to, you know, go out and act on this on my own. But you know, educating them on what the Kansas ecosystem looks like, what our resources are, what our processes are from a disclosure compliance standpoint, because um, every school is different right now, right? So we need to make sure that, hey, if you're going to go out and represent our athlete in the marketplace, you need to understand what our compliance, what our disclosure standpoint looks like, and really just trying to open as many opportunities as we can from educating them on our corporate partnerships, our collective, how they're operating in the space. So we really just try to be the you know ultimate kind of uh, connector and educator in that space when it comes to the current agents. So Ben, I guess it's a kind of a related question. You know, Tate brings up the collectives, and you know, for whatever reason, like I, I mean, I don't know, for a hundred years of college sports, like when you said agents and like college athletes, like that was a no no, and people skin crawled and whatever else. But like, I'm sensing, and even in Tate, kind of the way he answered, it's like, hey, the agents, we have to make sense because we have to help make sure the athletes make money. And there seems to be, um, I don't know, and I, 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 I represent a handful of collectives. I'm not really sure why, but this kind of growing concern about what collectives are doing, what their role is in the process, how it's different than agents. Ben, can you kind of explain for someone that might not know, as Tate explained, like the ecosystem, how do collectives kind of exist separate and aside from the agents and Kind of how do you work with collectives independent of the agents? I don't I don't think most people know that. Yeah, and you can thank the University of Florida for the word collective. We are the first public collective, the Gator <laughs> Collective. And it's good so, word. yeah. So you know what's uh, funny? Uh Nebraska tried to make collaborative happen and it just wasn't happening. It's like uh yeah. mean girls, like don't make fetch happen, Nebraska. Yeah, like, exactly. we're going with collective. Stop making fetch happen. Yeah, we don't it's yeah. not a thing. On Wednesdays we're paying. Thank Yeah, it's <laughs> like so yeah, there's you know, collectives, I mean, they're really you know, extended fundraising arms of, you know, athletics, right? Fun, creating opportunity, raising money to create opportunities for the athletes. And, you know, and now you have a lot of, you know, the the nonprofit side where they're amplifying charities in the community uh, and the IRS, you know, put out warning, but they've also approved a lot of um, different, comp uh, you know, different collectives in that space. I'd say that, you know, Florida does a good job of self-auditing our, our collective self-audits uh, every quarter. So like, that's a really good thing that I, I believe that a lot of, collectives should be doing and then uh, what is, what is a self-audit i don't want to i i don't really know what that means i've never heard of that i've never heard pay, of that. they pay they pay an outside party to like audit their books got it yeah, yeah. oh they don't so, self-audit to you they do it independently got independent. it yeah independent audits so like and and they get guidance on like what the like tax laws and stuff like that for, through their independent audits right so like they it's it's the most buttoned up like, and I worked with a lot of collectives. Like, I, I'm not just saying it. Like, I, I would tell, like, I challenge, I fight with my collective every day. Like, when you're asked, like, what's our relationship? It's a, we, we're trying to do right by our athletes. Uh, so we fight in a good way, right? We're butting heads because we both care. 
And, you know, for me, I'm pushing them on different things and they're pushing me on different things. And it's like compliance, logo usage, like can an athlete go to another country and do like, like literally on my list of things like that I do in a day, it's like international law, IP, but, and then the difference between agents and and, and collectives and and their collaboration is, uh, you know, perfect example is, you know, our our collective, you know, it's a fundraising arm, but they're also b- building out the marketing and sales part. So they'll, you know, have corporate partners that they find kind of like Learfield or whatever. And, you know, that that corporate partner wants to attach themselves to, you know, for example, Ricky Pearsall, who just had the best catch in the country. And, you know, it, it would look like the Jordan logo and like, you know, people want to strike on the, you know, the hot moment or that that's happening. And, you know, for me, my role is, my role is to make sure my athlete knows. And I know Ricky also has an agent too. So so, so when I know that, I'll say, hey, would you rather me just text your agent to tell him about the opportunity or go straight to you? And I, I, I that's from the jump. I'm like, I want to know. I'm always going to keep you in the loop too. Like, um, because it's one of those things where, you know, this is a company that just goes straight to me to say, hey, I'd like to work with this athlete. And like, you know, the agent didn't do a lot in that situation, right? So in that situation, it's kind of like, up to the up to the athlete how they want to handle it but you know, agents are out there grinding trying to maximize uh you know opportunities for their athletes in the marketing space and and there's also a part where you know there's a lot of new street agents if you will that you know aren't state registered which is some states you required and and a lot of them and i think tate would agree with this like they'll like blow you up and like you're just they're like wanting you to handhold them through all of it right like basic questions they could just google or like should know from the jump, like it's, and that's where it's like, okay, like I, how much of my capacity do I waste on, not waste on this, invest in this because I care about my athlete. Right. So like that's, there's a juggling there too. Yeah. It's funny. Like, and not, not to say that anyone's to blame for it, but I think this part, these conversations, like, you know, Ben and I, I work with some collectives. I work with some schools, like this concept of a self thought It's interesting. Like maybe all collectives should be doing it. Right. You know, there's even something as simple, which it's, it's good that the roles like yours, Ben and Tate exist. Um, and Tate, I guess we can, we can kind of ask you that's similar question. Like when you look at really the state laws and you look at the school's rules, not all schools have NIL policies, but I'd say most do most do now, like something as simple as like this, clearance period like when you have to tell the school about an nil deal and the school then has to approve it and then you know you hear it on the back and you get copies of contracts like a lot of that is written by lawmakers and legislators that might not have any clue of what the realistics and logistics of a university would be and sometimes in the school policy but i don't know sometimes like you know if you're in the middle like ben was talking about like the the greatest catch in these viral moments like you don't have seven days to approve the contract needs to be done really quickly. Tate, on, on your end, like, wh- what's something that you're seeing on that end, like, that maybe people just don't know, like, the realities of just, like, reacting to the marketplace that, like, I don't know, maybe doesn't, like, textbook comply with state law, but, like, you know, people are running businesses here. Yeah, so to your point and to Ben's point, we'll use uh, Ricky Pearsall. Is that the name, Ben? Like, yeah. his that's a great example there of, you know, Dan, as you said, we don't have seven days to sit there and, you know, get four different levels of approval there. So I'll speak for us here at Kansas. We are, um, you know, we don't have a current state law around NIL. So we are centered around our school written policy and we adhere to Big 12 and NCA policy. So we don't currently have a, you know, strict process in place around, oh, the school must verify or approve a contract. So that allows us to be pretty nimble and flexible in this space. We do have a you know disclosure requirement, but nothing we need to see beforehand um, requiring that. So that specific example you brought up there, we're able to be pretty quick and nimble in that space and how we act. And we're lucky because there's a lot of folks that aren't. And, you know, as Ben mentioned, that Slack channel, those monthly Zoom meetings that we all kind of lean on each other for, We've all heard more than enough people say, hey, I'm really hamstrung by my either state law or school policy that was written in August of 2021 and hasn't been touched since as we've seen the market adapt. So I'll say we're pretty lucky here at Kansas from the fact that we are able to be pretty nimble and flexible to the market. But one thing that Ben brought up earlier that I do want to touch on is, as he mentioned, you know, when it comes to like a standard contract standard agreement, 
that's a point right there that's been touched on by a lot of folks that don't actually live in the day-to-day of NIL and understand that how a national brand fast food chain operates in the NIL space is in a totally <laughs> different galaxy than a collective. Did you, can we laugh for a second Coll- collectively <laughs> to use a good word? I'm not going to get you guys in trouble. So this is, I'm saying what's about to come out. That, let's just say there was a very important person in, N- in NCA circles that said that there should be a uniform NIL contract for all deals. And uh, in our little sports law uh, group chats, which we don't have fun Slack chats, we just have normal text messages because we're not so fancy. We're like, that may be the craziest thing that anyone that is somewhat tasked with NIL has ever said. So like, you know, that there, there are people that are in a decision-making role. And I'm like, I'll give you one further. And again, you guys aren't saying this, I'm saying this. Sometimes I'll talk to schools and they are so on on edge about agents and collectives that it's like they're stuck in neutral. They just like they don't know what to do. So they do nothing. And then, you know, Ben, you guys, is I know you said this, but like Florida has been at the forefront of the movement. You can call it Scarlet Letter, but also Florida has been kind of, you know, I, I think, you know, especially the state of Florida being at the head of it, like you made some good headlines. So when people are saying like, what's going on, you look at the power five schools. But that said, like there are other schools that like, these questions, these conversations, they don't have, maybe they're, you know, group of five schools, they're smaller schools, and they're just like, so on edge, like, they're not going to do something unless a power five school does it first. And I'm like, that's yeah. not a way to get ahead. That's a way to be left in the rear view. And mirror, I, but. I'll say like, to lean on that, like, when I was in my last role, like I was on zoom calls, you know, pitching, building a collective at many universities. And so I was on with presidents or ADs or high level donors and you could tell just the questions they'd ask and, and, and their vibe, like, you know, there's, I'm not going to say any specific schools, but there's schools out there that you can, you know, the last 18 months since those calls I was on, you can tell like in, in this space, they still haven't moved forward or, and then you know, yeah, Florida, you know, we've, you know, the, the first one to break through the door is going to have some scars. Right. So like, that's, that's, you know, and, and for better or worse, that's part of, uh, part of this thing. And, you know, we're learning together, like, and, and going back to like the uniform contracts thing, like that's like the influencer economy, right. Just because NIL is legal NIL, you know, now it's legal, if you will. Um, like it's one of those things, like, just cause it's legal doesn't mean athletes want to do it. Right. If you, if, if Tate and I host a collaboration night on campus, I don't know how many athletes are at Kansas, but we have about 520 to 30, depending on the you know semester. Like, like uh, that's like for people that want to be creators, right? And I would say that we probably have a total of 20 to 25 creators on the entire campus out of 60,000 students, <laughs> you know? Um, and that's like, you can't have, you know, a local yoga studio that's giving, you know, free yoga lessons for an uh, Instagram story have the same contract as, you know, Wendy's. Right. So just that's that's just a funny thing. But yeah, yeah, you're saying that, Dan, not me. Yeah. And, and I think another, you know, to Ben's point on the yoga studio is we're dealing with so many college towns, hyper local markets who are full of small local businesses that have never engaged in influencer marketing before. They don't know what it looks like to write a, you know, name, image and likeness or a marketing contract before they've never done this for a hundred years. This is probably my o- most overused line when I talk to donors and businesses, but for a hundred years, we told them, don't give these kids a free cup of Coke or Pepsi at your restaurant. And now so many of them are feeling like, oh, the floodgates are open. How do I engage in this space? Um, yeah. To expect, uh, you know, Joe's coffee shop on Mass Street in Lawrence, Kansas to engage the same way as a Wendy's or Pepsi or Adidas is a, is a really tough ask. Yeah. And I think that they also like see the headlines. They're like, well, I don't have a million dollars to do a deal. Right. Yeah. That's kind of, I think where Tate was going there. Also a, a perfect example of like not even knowing influencer economy. I went into a store here in Gainesville um, that has our license and I was like, Oh, like they just got approved for hats. Right. So like apparel, um, I have a lot of hats in this, right? we're not on video. Um, but I was like, Hey, like that's a cool hat can I show you something? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, I was like, I'm going to take a picture of this hat and put it on Twitter. And he was like, oh, okay. So I took a picture of the hat and put it on Twitter. And within five minutes, he got a sale. And he's like, what just happened? I was like, just don't worry about it. <laughs> and then we like kept talking. Right. And within 48 hours, he sold out of every hat. Right. And it wow. wasn't just me, but like that amplification, I think they got like, you know, 50,000 views or whatever. Cause it was a brand new hat and it's a Gator thing. And you know, my followers are Gators. 
and he called me that it was like what did you just do? like i was like this is influencer marketing this is someone who has people that care about the gators and no one cares more about the gators or the jayhawks than their fans and the, the biggest you know stars on campus are, are in these communities in lawrence kansas and gainesville florida are the athletes right and then fast forward he since he had our license he started doing nil merchandise and his online sales went up three thousand percent three thousand because he invested in the most popular famous people in me and that's just part of like the 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 the, the engine if you will uh that nil couldn't create so speaking of the most famous people i feel like hannah and i were talking offline about like Livy Dunn and Angel Reese. Uh, I don't know, Hannah. I, I feel like you're you're probably well suited to ask it as someone that works with uh, female athletes at your agency. But I'll, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, definitely. So Livy Dunn and Angel Reese, um, we heard do not go to actual classes. They go to online classes due to their fame. Um, do you think that that is something that at your universities, we'll start with you, Tate, you're going to continue to see um, or something that you think is just an abnormal, just LSU um, gymnast or LSU national champion for women's basketball? Or is that something that we're going to see continue? We have these hyper famous athletes and that they are so famous and they're so great at their sport that they can't even attend class. Um, and what are your what are your thoughts on that? You think that's something you're going to see at your at your school tape? Yeah. So I mean, I'm you know happy to start. I think one thing that's important to address on that is that you know we had these you know hyper famous hyper local athletes before you know July first, two thousand twenty one, before NIL. Like you know we'll throw it to, uh, to Ben and we'll talk about, you know, Tim Tebow, you know, attending classes at Florida or, you know, how it is now. I think obviously social media is just, you know, gas on that fire. So I, I don't know. It's tough to say from the sense of, will we continue to see this? Will we not? It's a really tough one. I do think it's a, it's a tough situation to draw a parallel to, to NIL, where I think it's more likely to draw a parallel to social media, where in the NIL era, they're more empowered to, you know, grow their brand, live their brand a little bit more on social media where I haven't, you know, seen this on campus here, at least at Kansas speaking for us in terms of our athletes can't attend classes um, in person. That's not something that I have seen personally, but I do think that's something that could continue to happen. Obviously when you have these uh, enigmas like a Angel Reese, like an Olivia Dunn, or, you know, if this was, you know, back in the day in Gainesville, a Tim Tebow, right? Or back in the day in Lawrence, a Paul Pierce, somebody in that sense, you know, it, it's really tough to say, but Kirk I, Heinrich. Yeah. Kirk Heinrich. Yeah. We'll throw it way back. It's Kirk Heinrich, Kirk Heinrich was not at the level of Tim Tebow. That was a crazy yeah. comparison. I know. I just <laughs> wanted to show my Kansas Paul comparison. <laughs> maybe when they won the championship with like Drew Gooden and maybe there was like a brief window, but hey, I was just, I was just trying to show some love for my guy. Tim Tebow's yeah. like a God. I, I appreciate um, it, Ben. <laughs> no, but I guess I guess the question is really, and, and Ben, I, I think you can help answer this. Like, we have a world now for like 100 years, the NCAA was trying to protect this concept of amateurism, like to make sure that student athletes like looked, walked, and, and just had a student experience. And now, and, and again, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it's different. When athletes are making seven figures like Livy, Olivia Dunn, Tate, I've never heard her called Olivia Dunn, but Olivia, a.k.a. Livy Dunn, is making like seven figures like that's not really a normal student life. And I remember, you know, reading reports that like she had to get like security to bring her around to like LSU gymnastics events. Like that's not the student experience. Um, yeah. I, I think when yeah. she went to Utah, like there was like, uh, yeah. And it's not the student experience. Sorry to interrupt you if you're going somewhere with that. No, no. But Ben, did you, do you face that at all? Like at the highest levels of, of Florida athletes, like do you, do you sense that we have to do more to protect students or is it just like, you know, I, like they're, they're their own kind of CEOs at this point. They can handle themselves. Like I don't know what the school's role is in that. No, I mean, I think it's it goes back to, you know, Tate said earlier, like, you know, we've had famous people on campus before. I mean, Katie Ledecky is on campus and no one even knows who she is. <laughs> like, but like uh, it's one of those things where, you know, Olivia, Angel Reese, uh, Johnny Manziel, Tim Tebow, like those are like lightning in a bottle, like supernovas right and going back to what i said earlier just because someone can be a creator doesn't mean they want to be a creator right so 
we have 10 at like our six of our top sorry five of our top six athletes on campus are gymnasts right we don't have one football player with over a hundred thousand followers at florida but we have five gymnasts that do all right so like then compare that to living dead who has 4.4 million followers on instagram and uh, probably 10 million on tiktok or whatever but like like those are those are creators that are also premier athletes right and and like I said earlier, like we have 60,000 students on campus. We only have 20 creators total. None of them have a million followers. Um, but so it's it's just, it's few and far between. I think that the awareness uh, that we've had in the space uh, uh, now that like LSU is coming to Florida for gymnastics this year, we will probably make sure that, you know, everything is on the up and up and we overstaff. But we, yeah, we sell out every gymnastics meet in Gainesville anyway, 9,600. So like it'll probably be just double secure, a little bit more security to make sure. But uh, like Tessa, this is, you know, we've had stars before and now they j- can just monetize. Not in the same, you know, exact topic, but it's in the same neighborhood, I think. And I, I, me and Ben have talked offline about this. I think he would agree. I, I almost put this in the same neighborhood as something that we talked to our athletes a lot about is the mental health aspect in the NIL era where something that we're constantly pushing for. And um, it's probably one of those overused cliches in NIL education as it is, is post more on social media, be more active on social media, grow your brand, grow your followers. With that comes, you know, more open doors to, you know, exposure from a mental health perspective of negative comments, negative fans. So that's something at least here when it comes to NIL education that we try to really, you know, wrap in is from a mental health aspect, protect yourself and make sure that you're not overexposing yourself. You're not putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation. So while not on the exact same topic there, I feel like that does fit in the same neighborhood as yeah. that is the reality that we have to address that um, with some of our elite athletes, especially. So I think on that, uh, this is probably similarly, not really on NIL, but we have two NIL directors here and I'm curious of your thoughts on this. It could be no relation at all. So, you know, I think outside of NIL and outside of the transfer portal, which maybe is related to NIL, the third biggest story in college sports is really this issue of conference realignment. So at one point, Tate, I thought the Big 12 was going to cease to exist. And then uh, there was this weird alliance that happened and they like took away the alliance and they didn't put anything in writing. And then the SEC was going to take over the world. And then the Big 10 grabs all of the, the best Pac-12 schools. And now the Big 10 kind of has it. So we have this kind of shifting landscape in the middle. Tate, you mentioned like meant this mental health question. We now have, you know, two conferences that are going to be playing in three different time zones, which I don't know if it's good or, I mean, I, it doesn't sound that good, but, um, you know, from your perspective, independent of your thoughts on conference realignment, which I'm not going to get you guys in trouble. And how does that world of conference realignment impact the world of NIL? If, if at all, I, I'm, I'm just not sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's something that we've, um, you know, we've talked with our athletes about, I keep saying we, cause me and Ben are on the does same it, page. Does it come up in your, in your Slack, your cool little exclusive <laughs> yeah, me and, Slack? Me and ben, 99% of things me and Ben tend to agree on. So something that I've at least talked to my athletes about is, you know, they do have questions about it. You know, for us at Kansas, they're now going to be playing next year in Utah, in Arizona. Um, they'll be playing in that, what was once a PAC 12 market. So I'm really starting to talk to them about, one of the first things that we always tell them is like, Hey, you have your uh, market here in Lawrence, Kansas in the Kansas city community, but you also have your hometown. Now, you know, the big 12 is becoming more of a national conference. We're spreading across more coasts from a purely NIL perspective. You are now reaching, you know, the Utah and Arizona markets that once upon a time may not have been tuned into big 12 games. They may not have been watching Kansas versus Baylor, but when that's a game that's in their conference, they're going to be tuned in to watch it. So we're talking about that from a like, hey, if you want to look at this from a positive perspective, you're becoming more of a national brand from that sense. But when we draw back to the mental health side of things, yeah, it's going to mean longer road trips. It's going to mean a lot more travel. So there's really a good and bad for everything that's happening in college sports right now. It depends on, you know, what mood you wake up in on what side of the issue you fall on. But from if we're looking from a purely NIL perspective, we are seeing athletes now in the last couple of years be able to take more ownership of their brands and really put themselves out there more. In turn, they are promoting and growing the brands of their universities and their school now because they are more empowered to do so. They're turning their schools into more national brands, into more national audiences, national reach because of that. So 
I always like to say the better our athletes brands are, the better our school, you know, our athletic department is Kansas brand will be. And when we talk about conference realignment, it's going to be the same thing. We need to empower our athletes to be able to grow their brand, grow their national audience in that reach. I think yeah. back to what we talked about originally, um, I think that with these athletes entering into these new markets and becoming nationally known and being able to tap in, it'll be interesting to see if there is a federal or state by state, how that would work. I'm um, just kind of connecting all of our conversations. It's a, if it's great, if they are in these areas, they've never been before, but if it's with markets that don't necessarily have NIL laws or their schools um, don't have these, these great athletes that are doing NIL deals, they'll have no idea um, how to handle it. So I think it'll be very interesting to see if we ever do get an NIL federal law, um, if that even comes into effect, and then how that will look like um, when you have these athletes who have never been in a certain market before, like you just said, getting exposure and being able to now market themselves in three different time zones. Very interested to see what you have to say for this, Ben, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes down to what I tell everyone in the space. Dollars follow eyes. It's that simple. Dollars follow eyes. That's the reason. The eight, these schools are going to these different conferences. This is the reason that athletes that have 4 million followers have seven-figure deals. Dollars follow eyes. And the reason that these schools, you know, the Big 12 wasn't a part of the alliance, right? So they took that personally and went out and figured it out. And, they, and now they have the opportunity to go across the country. And like the SEC, you know, I'd say that Florida, we're, we're blessed to be in, a, in a, one of the conferences that we just – you know, we got two and we didn't have to sweat it and keep it moving. And and we kind of have a little bit of a regional base. But, you know, I think it's going to be hard for a gymnastics team from, you know, the West Coast to travel to the East Coast and then back. And I think there's a lot of these talking about these quads where there'll be a lot more like, you know, weekends where you do five events in one weekend where, you know, they can kind of save money. And there could be, you know, uh, you know non-revenue sports that have a regionality kind of go back to it. I, and I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the going away from the NCAA and having football be its own thing and, 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 and just different things like that. It's exciting. I mean, NIL is supposed to be fun. Like at the end of the day, I always say that like NIL is supposed to be fun. And, you know, I encourage our athletes to go as far as they want to go in this space. And when it comes to realignment and, 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 and the conference, like there's going to be new traditions that and new, new, like, rivalries and, and rivalries that are being renewed, you know, Texas and Texas A&M, that's a huge one. Um, and, and that's exciting. And I, I do, as someone who is a big road trip guy, I do think that it's going to stink. Cause like in college, I, you know, I drove from Gainesville LSU. Like, I think that it's going to stink for, you know, Eugene's students, like not their athletes. Like they're not gonna be able to go to like the regional, like that genuine college football road trip, but you know, maybe it's a, a just a travel trip now you, you fly there uh and then you know the the dollars of the conference realignment and the, the tv dollars uh i don't know the answer to this but is the extra 20 million gonna cover that travel right is it even enough to cover is it would it have been better to break even where you were already or get that extra 20 million i don't know i don't know the answer and i and also like are, are the schools on the east coast gonna buy a permanent truck and just have it sitting in la like that has all their gear in it. Or are they going to have to fly that gear? Like there's a lot of questions I don't know the answer to. I'm not an expert, but I, all I know is it's going to be expensive. <laughs> so, um, but, and, and going back to the mental health piece, like, like, is that, are that, is that dollars follow eyes? Is that extra little bit? I don't know what the difference is going to be. Is that enough to justify where we are now? I, don't know. I may be looking at this differently. Like I agree with everything Ben said, and I look at it from, you know, in college, I was a baseball player. I always talk about how we're entering now into a world of different sports have vastly different experiences in this conference realignment aspect of if I'm a baseball player at UCLA, I now have to go play. I feel like Rutgers always gets thrown out in this as an example of the farthest school. So I'll use Maryland, but Rutgers gets used too often. If I'm a baseball player at UCLA, I now have to go travel to play a three game series at Maryland you know, as part of a conference game, that's vastly different, you know, spending four or five days out there on, you know, a different coast than it is football where I'm going to come in, stay for one night, play and head out. So we're really heading in a different of different sports, having vastly different experiences at these power three, power four levels. Yeah. I was just going to add like, and not everyone flies yeah. like private, right? Like 
you know, some of our athletes already in the SEC are, are flying, flying commercial, right? So, and you've seen the WNBA, the, the, the pictures of the athlete, their, their women like sleeping in overnight at the airport, like, and that's WNBA. Like, so I, there's a lot of things like that, 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 that could be brought up. The one thing I was waiting for you guys to bring up and, and probably the easiest way to link conference realignment to NIL, if you are one of the unlucky members of the, uh, I guess the now PAC two, um, probably the PAC two, uh, you're probably going to lose out on some opportunities. So yeah, you got to pay attention to the entirety of the landscape. And that's why it's important to have these conversations, uh, lawyers, non-lawyers, NIL experts, everything in between uh, a fantastic conversation, Ben Tate, want to thank you both for joining us and yeah, uh, all good. Uh, we'll put uh, your socials in the show notes so people know where to find you. And I'm sure uh, you invite people to connect with you on LinkedIn, which we're trying to expand everyone's sports network. So appreciate you both, you both hopping on and, and spend some time with us. Yeah. We're in a crazy new industry and I like to get away from the term wild West, but it, it you know, there's not a lot of better ways to describe it. So uh yeah, I old. saw your tweet. I saw your tweet, Tate. <laughs> I call it the Wild Wild West, unironically. I saw that. I do it. But, you know, I guess we're not supposed to, according to Tate. So I'll stop. <laughs> Hannah, that's a message to you. That's they're sending a warning signal. Fair enough. No, uh, hey, some days <laughs> I, I just get in a bad mood and I go on Twitter. You know, it's all good. Uh, I'm grateful yeah. for your platform. Excellent. Okay, so we are back. Uh, ben Chase, Tate Gillespie. We're going to put um, their socials in the footnote in the show notes. Um, we're joined for this edition of the podcast by my daughter, Dylan. Dylan, can you say hi? Can you say hi? No, no hi by Dylan. Okay. Let her in, let her in, let her in. Okay, <laughs> we'll keep this all in the podcast. So I'm recording in my room, I'm recording at home. Um, I have two screaming children that are about to enter. I did mention that the podcast, the nanny was leaving, the nanny is gone. The nanny is gone and I have two screaming children that are here. Dylan, can you say hi to Hannah? Can you say hi? Hi, Dylan. Who's, no, say hi, Hannah. Okay. I love can your you say, Spider-Man shirt. Can you say hi too? Hi. Okay. Nice For the first time ever, <laughs> people were taking bets as to who would be on the podcast first, my wife or my two kids making it appearance together with no adult supervision <laughs> anywhere in sight. My wife is here somewhere. So that's, that's, that's the soccer star. Soccer star is behind me. But uh, I'm being punished right now for the podcast going along. So the kids are just thrown <laughs> into the room. Okay. So that's my cue. Dylan, should daddy get off the podcast? Daddy should get off the podcast. Wait, Dylan, how many goals did you score in soccer? Six. six. Wow, did Dylan. Daddy make that, did Daddy make that up, or did you really score six goals? And what? And wait, and what? Wait, who's this? Who's who is that? Who's on this channel? You don't know. Okay. <laughs> um. So Dylan is Dylan. How old are you? Three and a half. And Sloan, how old are you? Warriors. Sloan, say it louder. How old are you? Two. Two. Okay. Two. So, two. Uh, so yes, uh, daddy's being called into action. She's two. She's two. Okay. <laughs> I think it's a good place to end the episode. Um, big thank you. You know what we're going to do? We haven't done a better edge segment in a while. We love those guys over at better edge. You know what, Hannah? How about that? Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Hannah, where are you from? What's your, what's your birth state? Where are you born? Hoboken, New Jersey. Okay. Are you a Jets fan or a Giants fan? Giants, obviously. Giants, obviously. I mean, you both- Obviously. <laughs> Okay. Well, like, we're, we, not Giant Stadium. It's not Giant Stadium anymore. <laughs> we're running out of time here. I'm about to get screamed at. Um, All right. Giants. Calm do down. you like the Giant? Do you like the Giants this weekend? Yeah. I have the pick for you. So, uh, listen, you're not really a Giants fan. Giants, obviously, you don't know who they're playing this weekend. I, <laughs> and I had a feeling you didn't know the answer to that. Playing, I'm taking um, their team. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. Got it. My better edge segment, my bet uh, of the week. I'm going to go with the Buffalo Bills. Minus two and a half playing the Miami Dolphins. I am someone, people that don't know, I am a uh, degenerate gambler, gamble a lot. Um, I'm trying to gamble these girls to have a college tuition fund. So it's all for a good cause. The Buffalo Bills, uh, my Buffalo Bills, I don't tweet about them as much, but um, I uh, grew up as a Bills fan. Bills are minus two and a half favorites to the Miami Dolphins, which just scored 70 points. So that line seems kind of odd. I'm getting screamed at, but I'm going with the Bills. You can ride with me. You can find that bet, two and a half. That line over at Better Edge. Use our promo code CONDUCT for a free $20 match. Best way to support the show and to make money, going to Better Edge and, yeah, using Themis. Uh, okay, that'll do us here for us at Conduct Detrimental. If you're wondering where um, our guy Conlon is, Conlon keeps getting his picks wrong. Until he gives me a correct pick, he's not allowed on the show. So I'm going to pick. Conlon's not allowed on. Buffalo Bills minus two and a half. Take it to the bank. That'll do it for us over here at Conic Detrimental. Big thank you to Tate, 
to Ben and Hannah to you for joining on relatively short notice, but certainly appreciate it. Okay, so that'll do us here. Uh, Iconic Detrimental for myself and all of us here. We'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. <laughs>